it was it was it was tough. But you know, I was I was hanging, and uh, and you know, it's, it's something to be said. I mean, you put the work in, um, you never know what's going to come out on the other end. It, it's just you can't be afraid afraid to fail because you might learn something about yourself in the process. Welcome back, everyone. We are here for the Track and Field Black History Podcast. My name is Anderson, um, and we have the pleasure of speaking with one of the greatest athletes to ever touch the track in the sport <laughs> of track and field. Um, he is, you know, of course, the Olympic champion from 1988, both in the 400 and 4x4, um, also the Olympic champion in 1992 in the 4x4 and got silver in the 400 in 1992. Um, and both of those four by fours were world record time. So that's like the quality that we're hitting here. Um, okay. And of course, at his time at UCLA, he was multiple time, um, he was NCAA champion and multiple time All-American. Um, and still to this day, the current world junior record holder, the only U20 athlete to ever go under 44 seconds. Um, and I think still has like plethora of times in the world junior records. Um, or yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> we are speaking with Steve Lewis. Thank you so much for joining us today, Steve. Great, thanks for having me. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Um, so before we jump into, you know, of course, tons of things about your career and your background, um, I, I know you have a birthday coming up uh, next wow, week. Wow, you've done your uh, research. Yeah, I have a birthday on uh, this May 16th coming up on Monday. So. Yes, yes, nice. So happy, yeah. <laughs> happy early birthday to you. Thank you. Um, Thank you. The, the first thing I do want to ask is like, looking at you so i'm i'm 32 years old right now okay. and if i was like i don't know if i gave you my glasses and my beard you would look like my age right now <laughs> I, I don't know how you're able to keep looking so young and youthful and healthy like what's the, what's the secret i, I just keep it I, I keep moving man i have, I have uh, well two daughters my my oldest is 27 my youngest is uh 15 soon to be 16 so just keeping up with them but yeah, I just keep a healthy, active lifestyle. I'm all over the place, man, which we'll get into. I, you know, I just stay busy and, and uh, try not to stress too much because <laughs> stress will definitely age you quite a bit. So uh, you got to keep it even kill. But yeah, that, that's the secret. Absolutely. Yeah. Stress will definitely take some years off. So. Oh, it definitely will. Yeah. <laughs> that is great. That is great. Well, so to dive in, um, to go back kind of in your, you know, growing up, right? You're you're from LA and you still live in LA now. And curious what it was like growing up in LA in the 70s and 80s and even what initially got you into track and field. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I grew up in South Central Los Angeles and I mean, there's no, no secret just like most, uh, you know, inner cities across America. I mean, it can be rough, right? And so I grew up not knowing my father. So it was actually my siblings and I, my mom, and fortunately my grandparents lived close by. So there <laughs> I got in trouble. First, my, my mother would whoop me, we call it whoopings, or, or, or scold me and, and discipline me, right? And then I'd have to walk around a couple of blocks with my grandparents where my grandfather, my grandmother would, would scold me or just give me a good talking to. But, yeah, so I mean, you know, definitely uh, a lot of influences growing up, positive and negative, right? I, uh, my mother, being a single mom, uh, wanted to keep us, my, my brother and, and sister and I, out of trouble. So she wanted us to get into sports uh, some way, somehow. So, I mean, fortunately for me, I was pretty fast. I had some, some speed on me and, and I actually was approached by a, a gentleman named Ronald Moore, uh, he was the founder of a, a local track club, community track club called the Los Angeles Jets. And, uh, you know, he would basically, and he actually at the time, he would work different playgrounds. He was kind of the supervisor of playgrounds in L.A., but he also started this track club. 
And so, I mean, if you go anywhere, anywhere in U-Track and LA and even across the country, they've heard of the Los Angeles Jets. So, you know, at age nine, I, I started running for the Jets and, um, you know, I, I didn't look back, but it was definitely a way to just kind of keep me, um, you know, out of trouble. Not that I was in a lot of trouble at that time, but it just kept me focused, kept me grounded. Uh, I had some male role models of coaches uh, there. So James Robertson was one of the uh, LA Jet coaches with Ronald Moore. And so, I mean, that started my foundation and helped build my structure where I built upon, you know, just as I progressed in life, uh, even going on to UCLA and in life beyond. So it started there. I mean, South Central was tough, but you know, I was surrounded by a lot of positivity in my, my neighborhood, my community, uh, my grandparents, uh, and just friends. And so was able to, um, you know, overcome a lot of the uh, negativity uh, going on at that time. Nice. And yeah, you're speaking about your, your family and, you know, the, mm-hmm. your grandparents who live close by and all that in the community, of course, what was that support like, right? Despite now, you know, not having your father in your life, but having all these other uh, people, you know, around you, what was that support like from both family and then also even just other friends and role models you had? I mean, it was great. I mean, um, you know, you had to, you know, particularly for young black males in South Central at that time, uh, you needed some sort of a structure, right? Some one to kind of guide you, uh, mentor you. And I saw, I got that in a lot of different areas. I mean, with my coach, James Robertson uh, for the LA Jets, um, my um, grandfather um, and, you know, some teachers. I mean, it just, you know, there was never a shortage of positive role models uh, for me as well. So I just kind of looked to them to help me and, 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 you know, looking for mentors, I think that's important no matter what age you are, it's important to try to find a mentor, right? So, I mean, I, I sought that out early on. And, you know, my mother, she worked hard uh, to provide for us. So she was my role model, my, my superwoman, my hero, and my teammates, right? We support each other. I mean, that's one of those things, you know, the whole thing you hear about teamwork makes the dream work, where that's something that started for me, you know, when I was in running youth track, right? And so we would travel together, my teammates and I, um, you know, of course, my church was important for me. One of uh, 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 John Cincy Williams, he would take us around the kids in his big station wagon, right, from track meet to track meet, you know, from our church. But, man, it was a great experience for me. And you talk about exposure, right? I mean, I think a lot of times you have to try to get outside of where you are in the neighborhood. So we would travel. I mean, I remember taking trips to New York and Chicago when I was running youth track. And, I mean, that was great for us to get out of, you know, the inner city and just find something else to, to see and to look at and, and experience, right? Because life is all about the experiences, but it's just a combination of things. I mean, the people around me, my teammates, my, my family, the community, um, you know, I got a lot out of that coming up. Nice. So where, so you went to New York, Chicago, and you're like super young. I mean, you know, a lot of kids don't get the opportunity to travel even outside yeah. their the inner city, right? Like you said, was there like a favorite place that you got to go like when you were really, really young? You know, it's funny. I mean, I so I started running track, but even when I was still a junior, uh, I mean, still high school, whatever, I, I, I took a trip to Cuba. I mean, I was part of the junior team, the U.S. junior team in high school. So we traveled to Cuba. So, I mean, I had some international travel, uh, you know, while, st- while still a youth. So that was a cool trip. Um, but yeah, just all over. I mean, we travel, you know, all over the states. I mean, just you know, Arizona, Chicago, New York. But every every experience was was unique and, and different. I mean, we were on the road, right, with <laughs> those long road trips. But you know, that was the that was that was fun. We took these road trips, you know, my teammates and I, and 
man, we had a good time. Uh, you know, just just different memories, different experiences. Really nice. That, that's so cool. That's so cool. Yeah. And then even just in LA, like um, you know, LA, you know, it's always been like a hub for entertainment. There's always been like things going on in LA. But I'm curious what you think about the changes that you've seen since the 70s and 80s to mm. you know, LA now um, as a city. If you've seen changes, positive or negative, or things like that. Um, well, you know, we're just coming out of this pandemic, but yeah, so, I mean, it's, we're, you know, progressing. I mean, I, it's a lot of growth, um, in the community. It's funny. I mean, even where I, I mean, so I grew up, uh, kind of South Central, my, my grandmother's still living. She lives in LA, not too far from SoFi Stadium, right? So just, you know, how they're building up. So there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of improvement, a lot of growth, um, it's getting better. It's looking better. I mean, you know, people are still struggling, having challenges again, that's, of that pandemic people coming out of that but you know i i feel like uh you know my community um that i grew up in i mean it's getting better i mean you know you know it's it's not easy uh i'll say that for all people i understand that i i definitely recognize that but i do see a lot of growth i mean you know we you know just in la and not to brag i mean we you know had the dodgers right uh, you know, champions there, and we had the Lakers champions last year. They're not doing too well. This year. Not too good at all. And then the Rams, right? So our community, man, we're, we're I mean, there's a lot of growth, a lot of uh, opportunities for folks' jobs. So yeah, I see it. I see it. Love that. Love that. Um, and of course, like you said, right? You you went to UCLA, and so even before like touching upon UCLA, that kind of, I mean, you've had the opportunity to travel, but thinking of coming from South Central. And then going to UCLA, which you know, it, you know, it's a really nice, much nicer part of LA in general. What was that transition like for you? Um, it's interesting because in high school, well, as you you're getting recruited by different schools, you get the thing. I don't know if it's still the same, but you can take five recruiting trips, right? And growing up, I always wanted to go to UCLA. It was just like, man, I got to go to UCLA. If you're in LA, it's either USC or UCLA. One of the two. I mean, that's that rivalry. But I, you know, was always wanting to you know, become a Bruin. And so I took five, I took my first recruiting trip. I think I went to LSU, I went to Texas A&M, went to Kansas, um, and I went to, I took a recruiting trip to USC, but UCLA did not, they weren't checking for me at the time, right? And I think at that time I won state already my junior in high school. And this might've been before I won state in my, my, my senior year, but UCLA wasn't, and they didn't reach out to me. And I'm like, so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go to USC, right? And so at the last minute, I get a call from, uh, we get a call, my mother and I, from Coach Bob Larson and John Smith. We were living in Northern California at the time. I lived up in Northern California for a year and a half in high school. And they said, we'd like to come and, you know, um, you know come meet with you. So, you know, in my living room up in uh, Fremont, California, Coach Bob Larson and, and John Smith, who's still the fourth, I have a story about John Smith. John Smith is the 440, uh, still the world record on the 440 yard dash. And so they're in my living room and talking to my mom and my mom excited about, oh, wow, you know, this, this prestigious school is coming, wants to, you know, give my, my son a scholarship and what have you. So, and needless to say, I accepted and I was fortunate enough to uh, be a part of that squad uh, with Danny Everett, Kevin Young, Henry Thomas, Mike Marsh. I mean, that was just an incredible experience. And then, of course, with John Smith as our coach. So, you know, all of us actually we grew up in South Central. I mean, and I remember Kevin Young, he tells this story of um, he couldn't go to USC because it was too close to uh, where he grew up in Watts and he didn't want to be 
closer to that uh, that that influence, right? So he said, I need to go deeper into Westwood. So you're right, Westwood is different part of the city than say USC, which is more kind of in um, kind of east uh, South Central LA, East LA. But you're close to where you grew up, and you know, and so you know, I decided to go to Westwood, right? You're in the middle of nowhere, and, and, and you know, beautiful, uh, you know, West, right? So it was great, beautiful campus, um, but it was different because uh, you know there weren't too many, even now it's not as, as but it's not too many African Americans at the time. You know, obviously, you had the athletes, but one thing at UCLA, the athletes, at least black athletes, we stuck together, right? And, uh, but yeah, that was kind of uh, a change for me, um, you know, growing up and, and, and although I did um, go to some, uh, you know, diverse schools growing up, because at that time in the 70s and early 70s, early 80s, they were doing a lot of busing. So in middle school, I was bused to some of the other areas, suburban areas of LA. So I, had, I was exposed to a lot of the white kids and just different nationalities. So it wasn't so bad when I went to UCLA, but it was still different from where I grew up, right? But Hey, I mean, that experience uh, going to UCLA was just incredible for me. Uh, you met a lot of great people there. Um, yeah, I'm glad I made that choice. Nice. For many reasons. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I, I'm, I'm going to speak to, I think I'm going to speak to John Smith um, a mm. few weeks, but sounds mm. like he has some telepathic powers or something because you were about to go to USC and it's like, hold on, let me grab this. Came at the lab. Yeah, John Smith. Yeah. Let me tell you a funny story though, because John Smith, at the time, you know, and still held the world record in 440 yards, and he was training Danny Everett and I, uh, you know, late 80s, early 90s, and we used to always tell John, you know what, John, we're going to let you keep this 440-yard record, because at that time, you know, we could have, we, I thought we could have broken that record, but they didn't run the yards anymore, it was just the meters, 400 meters, so we said, John, we'll let you keep that record, and we won't run it, they won't put a race together, we'll just let you have it, coach. So even to this day, he still has that 440-yard dash record. You know? Oh, man. <laughs> that's crazy. Mind of a bet. Yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, and then, of course, right, at UCLA, I mean, your first year was one for the books. I mean, it's history-making, right? Um, yeah. And I'm curious what, like, if you expected some of the success that you saw in your first year. I mean, you had, you had, of course, done well, really well in high school and junior and senior year. Um, but did you expect kind of the rise that you saw and that you actually did experience that first year? No, not at all. I, and in fact, so, I mean, here you think about it. So my junior year in high school, I win the state meet, right? Uh, 16 years or whatever. Senior year in high school, I win the state meet. And then the next year I'm the Olympic champion, right? So it, no, you couldn't, you couldn't, yeah. I don't, I don't think you can write that up, like the story like that. I, I will say I, it had a lot to do with the coach. It had a lot to do with the athletes that I was training with, Danny Everett, you know, and Kevin Young. I mean, Danny, so Danny was already considered a world-class athlete anyway. He had competed in Europe in the 400, but I mean, him just taking me under his wing and we trained together um you know I just I just stayed with them I mean I mean I the type of workouts that we were doing uh at UCLA man it was it was it was tough but you know I was I was hanging and uh and you know it's, it's something to be said I mean you put the work in um you never know what's going to come out on the other end it, it's just you can't be afraid afraid to fail because you might learn something about yourself in the process so yeah, I was one of those athletes in training plus I was a young kid they gave me a hard time you know, uh, you young and, you know, in practice, right? And I'm like, I'll show you, right? And so I would always, I mean, I was, I worked hard. 
and it paid off for me. I mean, you talk about all of those, um, you know, sub 20 uh, or 20 old 400 meter times that I ran most, I, I broke the world junior record. Well, I went under that world junior record maybe five or six times that year. First time was at the Pac-10 uh, championships at the time, it's Pac-12. But it was because of all that work I put in in the fall. And then all of a sudden, I just kept break, I just kept dropping that time, you know, because of all that training and that hard work on, on uh, early fall. Yeah. Nice. Did, did that kind of like, as you were progressing, so like even before the Olympics, right? Like, um, like you said, Pac-12 and CAAs and then um, US trials where you make the team and you, like you said, you broke the world junior record a plethora of yeah. times. Yeah. Um, did that give you confidence going into the Olympic games? Um, absolutely. And again, I, I have to go back to just having Danny there because mm -hmm. we complimented each other. We ran together, trained together, we roomed together whenever we tried. Even so, Daniel, even at the Olympic trial, even though at the Pac-10 at the time championships, when we ran that that meet, it was in May. Mm -hmm. I think Danny, he won the Pac-10. He ran like a 44-3 something. I ran a 44-6-5 for the first time. But at that time, our, our times were the fastest in the world at, at, at the year at the time. I'm like, wow, this is incredible. But even after that, going into the trials, we still... You know, like, oh, this is cool. We're just going to have fun because, I mean, there were still Butch Reynolds. I mean, there are other, you know, kind of elite athletes. Antonio McKay was someone that I idolized at the time. You know, so we were just like, yeah, the trials would be cool. So, I mean, we would, you know, we roomed together, Danny and I, at the trials. And, you know, we just would eat anything, burgers the night before. <laughs> we didn't know we're young and kids. So, like, oh, this is the trials. This is an experience because I had to decide in 88, should I try to make the world junior team? or try to make the Olympic team because I was only 19, right? And so my coach, John Smith, said, no, we're going for the, the Olympic team, the trials. So, I mean, I was confident because I, I knew that I had the potential, but I still wasn't, it wasn't until maybe after the first, the second round, because mm -hmm. uh, we had the three rounds in the finals so four actual races in the trial. So the first round, I ran, I probably ran a 46, but that second round, I ran a 44-11 shutting down that's when I realized, oh, this is, I can, I can do this. Right. And so it wasn't until that second round of the Olympic trials in Indianapolis at 44, 11, you know, cruise it in that I knew I, I'm, you know, I can make this team. Nice. I did fortunately. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and then of course, even after that, well, um, I think it was like a month or so before the Olympics, right. Butch Reynolds breaks the world record ahead yeah. of you and, and Danny. Yeah. Does that kind of change your perspective of like, okay, hold on. This guy's almost a full second ahead of us. Can we actually win this? Like you and Danny, do you think that? Yeah, that was, that was, so when you have somebody to break a world record on you, it changes, you know, a little bit, but yeah, we were in Zurich, you know, uh, about a month, month or so before the actual game. So we made the, all of us were already on the team Yeah, and we went to Zurich. That was a big race, which ran 4329 or something. And so then we had to go back home and just, I mean, we were already, you know, shape and, you know, at a certain level, a certain speed, but what do you go back to do to fine tune? Because, you know, the thing about the Olympics, uh, you know, different from other races, it's, it's, it's strategic in a sense, for me at least, is I'm, I mean, you run your race, but you got to think about who's in your race and where they are and all that, right? It's strategic because you have to get through these rounds. You can't run too hard. Um, you know, I made a mistake in 92. I went out too hard, but in 88, it's really, like in 88, I went in, Again, I think it was after that second round, I realized, okay, I can, I don't, I didn't feel like I needed to run, you know, a 43-29 to win a race. I just had to run the right race, right? And I, I was talking to my LA Jet coach, uh, James Robertson, about, he told me, 
um, you know, you don't need to, you can, you can win a race with a 43, six, whatever, three, seven, you don't have to run that world record time. Cause he didn't feel Butch was going to run that, you know, that fast there. So I just had innocent Egwiniki on my outside. We called him the rabbit. So I just had to get to him and then come off that, that curve in front. And so that was my strategy, right? I had Butch, you know, the lane assignments worked to my favor in the, in the games because Butch was way in lane two or three on the inside mm -hmm. had, Innocent that meet between outside. So I I just had to get away from Butch and get to Innocent. And by the time we sorted out coming down the stretch, they, you know, I was I was in front. So I, I felt like I would I would definitely medal uh going into the Olympics. You know, they were hoping for an American sweep. They thought I would probably take third, but you know, I said, hey, which would have been fine with me. Uh, but you know, after going through those rounds, I just started feeling different. Um you know, I don't know if it was just a maturity thing, just an understanding of the moment. Um, you know, I just literally started coming into my own at the games. It's, it's weird, just mentally how I started thinking about things, my approach. And I'm curious, just thinking of what you're saying in terms of that maturity, right? You're still very, very young, but you're maturing very, very quickly. You're almost forced to because of the whole yeah. situation that you're in. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Do you still think about some of those things about being in different situations, understanding how to navigate them and, you know, having to adjust and get mature, um, you know, in certain situations? Do you still think about some of those things now as you navigate through situations in life? Absolutely. I mean, all of my experiences for me are, you know, good and bad are really just reference points, right? So I, you know, whatever situation I'm in, I think about an experience of mine in the past, it just serves as a reference point. So, okay, you know, how do I draw back on what I learned from that? experience to help me in this new uh, uh, endeavor, whatever that might be. So yeah, they're just reference points. Everything, every experience that I have, that's what they are for me. And I just draw on those experiences whenever I approach, you know, a new project or an endeavor or anything like that. Absolutely. Um, and then right after the Olympics, I mean, you, of course, win gold, you win double gold, right? And you, you all tie the world record in a four by four. But you decide to go back to UCLA, right? And I, a lot of a lot of athletes, I know now a lot of athletes be like, you just won the Olympic gold, you got, you were in 43A, you broke a world record in four by four. Why would you go back to school, right? You could take all this money. So I'm curious why you went back to UCLA as opposed to going pro or anything like that. I wish they had the NILs back then, uh, <laughs> the whole name, image, and likeness for athletes can take advantage of uh, that. So, um, so I, you know, UCLA did well by me. Right. So yeah. I definitely uh, one, I was definitely going to go back for my education regardless. And I decided to give, you know, just to stay and just to give some, you know, give them some more years. And um, I stayed two more years. So I was 88, of course, in 89. I, I was at UCLA still competing. Had a year, I was injured that year. Yeah. 90 um, was my third year, my last year competing for UCLA. Uh, one NCs that year. But yeah, I mean, I just felt it was just the right thing to do because of you know UCLA um, taking a chance on me and 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 you know giving me that opportunity. So, yeah, I mean, I, I you know I just had to do that. Right? It was just the right thing to do. Um, yeah. No, that's that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Um, and then right after that, right, you went professional. And what was that transition to being a professional like? Um, and thinking about you know, you spoke about the role models you had, did you still get support from those role models? And even thinking of things like, you know, financial literacy, right? Working with agents or contracts or just even other aspects of just being an adult in the world. Um, did you get that support as you transitioned to a professional? 
Great question. You know, I think for me, fortunately for me, um, so not only did I, was I surrounded with by, you know, the athletes at UCLA with Danny, but, you know, Santa Monica Track Club took me under their wing. So Carl Lewis, you know, he was you know our, our main uh, guy. Right. And then Joe Douglas uh, was my manager agent. And so just as a group, uh, we supported uh, each other. Uh, so on the finance side, so Mike Marsh, my teammate who broke, uh, was Olympic champion in the 200 meters of 92, good friends of mine, who's by now, actually right now is the U.S. Uh, relay coach, Mike Marsh yeah. is, uh, men, men's relay coach for the next two years. Anyway, uh, I digress. But so Mike uh, was a positive influence on me on the finance side as far as investing. You know, we got into real estate back then, Danny Everett, he bought his, his place. And so we were you know, on, on top of that early on because of Joe Douglas, because of, you know, my teammates, we were always kind of um, thinking about the future, right? And so, I mean, I'm not going to say I didn't waste a lot of money and, you know, do, but at least my mindset was about, okay, I got to think about the future because track and field is not going to last forever. Uh, so, you know, I invest a little bit in, you know, real estate, we got into that, but yeah, I, I, I think it was because of my, my teammates. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I talk to a lot of athletes now and, uh, you know, I'm hoping that they, you know, they're getting the same, you know, type of advice that, that I got back then, some of these young athletes. And I think it's, it's good for them now because, you know, they have all this stuff with the NILs and yeah. social media is out there. Now athletes are, you know, kind of capitalizing off of their, uh, Instagrams and all that. Right. So it's different. So it's, it's, it's hopefully I'm hoping. Um, but yeah, so for me, at least, you know, I was young and I needed that, um, that guidance and right. I got it. What, what is your, what did your family, what was like the relationship and what did your family think in terms of, you know, seeing you with all this success and then, you know, you making some great decisions in terms of financial literacy and like having some, you know, people to, um, you know, provide you with good support. What were your thoughts from your family and, you know, what they thought? Um, I definitely support. I mean, even my, my brother, he was, he, you know, he's actually, he was, uh, funny. He, he was in the military and the army. He was stationed in Korea a couple of years before I was there competing, but yeah, I mean, so even my brother and I, we talk all about that even now. I mean, we're, you know, all about financial literacy and, and, and investments and what have you. So yeah, that was just important as, I mean, you know, early on, I was thinking legacy, right? Generational wealth. I mean, that's just, something that was kind of um, embedded in me at an early age and a lot from my brother, my older brother, he's a few years older than me. And that's just my mindset, right? I'm always thinking about, you know, what's my legacy, not just athletics, but it's, you know, other things. I mean, I have two daughters, right? I mean, so yeah, we're just always, I mean, that's just, that's our conversations. Um, yeah, we're on it. Love it, love it. That, that is dope. And then um, even with all the people you were naming, right? Um, with like, you know, you had Carl Lewis, you had Mike Marsh. Um, and during your time, uh, just thinking of like what you were noting with like NIL and social media now, um, but during your time, right, the Carl Lewis's, the you know, Jackie Joyner Kersey's, right, you had these kind of almost larger than life athletes mm -hmm. and figures in track and field um, that were like household names and they were getting tons of spotlight. Um, but do you feel that track and field as a whole during your time was getting that recognition? So like, yourself, Danny Everett, um, you know, some of the other athletes that may not have been like the top of the top, but, you know, still pretty prominent athletes. Uh, no, I don't. I, you know, it's, it's, it's in the U.S. We, um, 
there's just so many other sports that we're competing against for attention. I mean, yeah. you know, baseball, football, basketball, you know, most Americans, if you think about our sport track and field, they're looking at it during the Olympics, right? I mean, that's yeah. when you really have to, uh, you know, be on your game. I mean, and the sad part is, I mean, you have athletes that shine on off years, right? Like, yeah. you know, world championships, but unfortunately they're not getting that, uh, you know, attention, the, the lot, spotlight is not on them, like say in Olympic years. So fortunately for me, you know, I always came around at the Olympic year. I mean, I had my injuries throughout. I had a sickness one year, and but I was always ready at the Olympic year. So, yeah. um, and I had a great agent, you know, Joe Douglas. And so, you know, I feel like, I always feel like, I mean, I can get more, I can get more, but the top athletes, they're, they're you know, they're going to get the most. I mean, that's what, and again, fortunately, I was, you know, I was with Santa Monica Track Club, so because of, you know, Carl, I mean, Leroy Burrell's on our, our team at the time, you know, we looked out for each other because I was part of a group. I mean, we would go into these, these, these meets, say in Zurich or, you know, in, in Lausanne and, you know, Sestriere or wherever. And we would, uh, you know, demand a certain amount of money for the group, right? So everybody ate, everybody, you know, benefited from that being part of this big group. And I remember, you know, um, a particular meet in Oslo where one of my competitors uh, didn't want to race me in a race. And so they decided in the 400 and I was going to run 400 on my event. And so they said, Steve, we'll put you in the 200 meters. But my, my agent, Joe Douglas said, no, we want Steve in the 400 meters. He's not going to dodge anybody and what have you. And so they said, no, Steve's running the 200 meters. So uh, my teammate, including Carl List, said, you know what? We're leaving the meet unless you put Steve in the 400 meters. And, you know, Carl was going to lose I mean, he was getting paid. All our teammates were going to just lose out on a lot of money, but they were supporting me. Needless to say, they didn't want Santa Monica Track Club to leave that meet, so they put me in the 400 meters. That athlete that didn't want me in the race went to another event, and uh, then we got paid. So that was the beauty of being part of a group um, because you supported one another, right? And that was, that was important. And now when I look at the sport, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't see that, really. Um, I don't see it. Not like we did it. It's not like a track club. Yeah, that, it's so true. That's that's one big thing I think about. Of course, you have, I see a lot of like distance crews and things like that mm -hmm. now, but like the sprint crews, you yeah. don't see that pretty frequently um, anymore. And I, even though, you know, of course, sprinting is, sprinting is always going to be the big thing, right? The 100, the 200, 400, but those crews, like you were saying, like Santa Monica yeah. track club, that is like yeah. a legacy, right? People can name yeah. it all. Um, and yeah, that, that's such a good point. And what, what do you think of like current athletes, you know, you know, with the NIL deals using social media, um, what are your thoughts on that? And, you know, finding them finding different ways to actually promote themselves outside of, you know, kind of the traditional methods of TV or, you know, the kind of cookie cutter methods that are out there. I mean, I think it's great. I mean, I think it forces some of the other, uh, sponsors to step up. I mean, you know, obviously Nike, um, controls the sport. I mean, they have most of the athletes, particularly in sprints. And so they can, you know, <laughs> you can look at a, like say at a hundred meters, right. At a, at a, at a, at a meet and, you know, everybody's wearing the same uniform, Nike, 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 you know, the beauty of Santa Monica track club. Oh, there's that Santa Monica, right. And that was the beauty of having teams back then because that's what people relate to. We, you know, we're like, our society is like, Oh, that team, I'm gonna support the Lakers. I'm gonna support the Celtics. Right. So, it was, oh, Santa Monica Track Club, our stars and stripes. But now it's just, 
you know, Nike from lane one through eight, right? I mean, you might see a Puma in the air, you know, Adidas, but yeah, it's just, it's just different. It's not, and I think we need to have some sort of, you know, a better distinction on, you know, in the sport, you know, with teams. And I think people will kind of gravitate to that a little bit more. And I think that would bring more attention to the sport, you know, because people, oh man, who are you, what team are you? I mean, you can like individual athletes, but people want to support their teams, right? Their colors, whatever that might be. Um, but to your point, man, I think it's great, you know, for athletes to now be able to take advantage of uh, different type of sponsors. And, and, and I mean, you have, I mean, the whole NFT thing is huge and, you know, yeah. it, it's, it's great. I mean, and I, and I think it's, it, hopefully it'll get better uh, for the athletes because they, you know, athletes is hard. I mean, you can't work a nine to five and be a professional athlete, right? And, you know, some of these athletes just aren't getting enough money to support themselves, you know, while they're training without, without working, you know, and that's, that's tough. Um, that's tough. Yeah, very true. Very true. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I wish there were some, I wish we could have like teams again, because like you said, yeah, that, cool. would, <laughs> that, would be, that would be so dope. That would be so amazing. Uh, definitely bring some eyes. Um, so I want to talk about the 400 um, and thinking of, so I kind of think of like the 400 in different golden ages and the like the 60s I see as like one of the top golden ages where you had Lee Evans and you know Larry James and mm-hmm. you know Vincent Matthews um in the early 70s and John Smith right exactly and um and then of course I think your era was that second golden age where you know right before you came right there was Antonio McKay and Alonzo Babers and then mm-hmm. yourself Reynolds and then uh, mm-hmm. Michael Johnson on the you know through the 90s and things like that um, so, but what was it like competing during that time in the eighties where there was like such high quality, right? It's like, you had to run low 44 or break 44, or you're just like, you're not even good enough. Like, what was that? What was that like during that time? Um, yeah, it was hot. I mean, you know, and the thing again with me, I had to bring it back to Danny is I had no, I mean, I was training with, you know, we were best friends. We're still best friends. And so you know, I was, I always had to be on it. I mean, even, you know, just training with Danny uh, and Kevin and Mike. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that you just never knew. I mean, you know, and then Quincy, got he came around. And so, uh, man, that was a good era. I mean, you know, our mile, re- I, I will say this, I, I, you know, 92, 92, yeah. um, that was just, a, that was just something in itself with the whole drama with, with Butch at the Olympic trials in 92. But I, I feel like, we could have assembled, you know, four guys uh, on that mile relay to break a record that, you know, I think would still stand. I mean, so Michael was on that relay, but he wasn't his best self, right? Yeah. I mean, you think about him, if he was, you know, I think he might have split, I don't know, you know, a couple of seconds slower than what he should have run, right? But it was just, but we still broke the world record yeah. and what have you. But yeah, I mean, that was just a, a, a hell of an error. I mean, it, yeah, just quality quarter milers. Um, yeah, yeah, very competitive. <laughs> right. Was there good camaraderie, of course, you know, with you and Danny, of course, that's there and um, and Kevin, but then also amongst, you know, Butch and Quincy and, you know, Johnson when, when they all came around, was there a good camaraderie, um, you know, on the circuit and when you all were running? So I think, um, you know, being Santa Monica Track Club, we, uh, I don't know. People just didn't, 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 didn't like us. I mean, I feel like we got too much attention. I don't know what it is, but we did have some issues with other athletes. And I mean, obviously, you know, 
you know, the back and forth with, 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 with Carl and Michael at the time and, and Carl and Ben, right? And just, but there was, there was, there was tension, you know, between, uh, you know, folks outside of Santa Monica. But when it came to relays, I mean, we would unite and, and do what we had to do. So, um, you know, there were, I mean, I had camaraderie with some athletes, not all, but, I, and I think um, it was more, I think it was just a Santa Monica thing. You know, it was just, we were like the enemy to a lot of folks, you know, just, they just, yeah, they'd see us and they felt like we got special attention and yeah, but wasn't the case. I mean, Hey, I'm just, I'm on the team, you know, I'm just, you know, I want to be taken care of who wouldn't want that. Right. I mean, looking back, it's funny because social media is a trip. You, uh, you know, all the folks that you probably had an issue with back then, we're all friends on social media. Now. We, you know, we're, we're growing up and we're young and kids and all that back then, but yeah, it's funny how time, you know, it was all wounds, right? But yeah, no. So the camaraderie back then, it was, you know, not not a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's interesting. Do you think, like, because like you were saying um, before, right? Like the teams couldn't create like a lot of more, um, a lot of promotion for the sport. But nowadays, I, I feel like the sport is a lot more like toned down, right? There's not as many like intense back and forths that we see amongst athletes or anything like that. I don't know if you yeah. thought, previously what you're talking about with like that kind of intensity, if that's a little bit better than what we have now, where it's like, you know, still running fast times, but it's a little more friendly for the most part. Man, back, I mean, I think about the hundreds, man. I used to love, you know, uh, you know, Dennis Mitchell. I mean, he'd be the one, you know, <laughs> the, you know or John Drummond. I mean, it was just, yeah, it was just edgy. It was, you know, and, and athletes are trying to do that. I mean, like, so don't get me wrong. I mean, Usain Bolt, his whole, I mean, I, I love him. Um, but, yeah, back then it was just it was just a little different. It's just different. Yeah, I saw these. I think a lot of these athletes are just nice. You know, they just they're just nice. You know, <laughs> they're, they're they're tough. But uh, I mean, I like I like Shakari uh, Richardson. I mean, I, you know, uh, but they're a little <laughs> nice. Most of them are nicer than we than back then. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I was saying Shakari is is trained by Dennis Mitchell, so maybe there's yeah, some. Uh, <laughs> I see a little. I see a lot of her. And, a lot of her and him, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot <laughs> nice. of him and her, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, she's, yeah. She's, she's, she's uh, uh, a firecracker. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> nice, nice. And then, so thinking back with the 400, like when you were getting into it in the in the 80s, did you ever get a chance to speak with, or if not speak with, at least learn from some of those athletes before? So, you know, like an Antonio McKay who came right before you, or uh, Alonzo Babers, or even like, Lee Evans or Larry James. Um, did you ever get to, you know, learn from them or speak from them? Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, even John Smith at the time, yeah, yeah. you know, he was an idol. He was, he was big to me. And um, I mean, every day of practice, I mean, he was in our ear. I mean, you know, John was definitely a, a, the, the, a major influence on me as a, uh, you know, quarter mile or quarter horse, but Antonio McKay was someone that I followed a lot coming up. I mean, you know, I used to watch his indoor races. Yeah. Uh, I remember the Roddy Haley's. Um, yeah, all of them. Innocent Egbeniki. So it's yeah. funny. I remember my senior year in high school, I was invited to compete at the Pepsi meet, which was held at Drake Stadium at UCLA. Mm -hmm. And they gave me lane one. <laughs> right. But hey, I was cool. I was senior high school. I'll take it. Right. And a year later, of course, I went to UCLA, but I'm in lane one. I think Innocent was in that race. Roddy Haley, uh, Antonio McKay. And I took, I took, you know, dead last, but that's fine. You know, I had the experience. Now, a year later, 
you know, it was a different story. But, you know, I was just in awe. I mean, just to have that, you know, that was my first sort of kind of world-class uh, competition. And I was a high school senior. And, uh, but that was great. But I just remember being around those athletes and just being in all those athletes. And uh, I mean, it was great just, just, just being there. Uh, but Antonio McKay was a big one for me. Um, you know, just watching him as I got older. And then yeah. I was able to actually, we were teammates in 88 yeah. uh, in Korea. Yeah. Nice, nice. I, I spoke with Antonio McKay a couple of weeks ago and he definitely mm-hmm. was like, <laughs> well, he's, he definitely said there was a great camaraderie. He appreciated it. But he said similar where he's like, he didn't like you all when you got in the track, but then after <laughs> <laughs> Nice, nice. Um, and then now thinking of so right now, I currently think of the 400 in almost another golden age where you have mm-hmm. so many athletes kicking off sub 44s, and not even just Americans. You have tons of athletes from around the world. Um, you know, like Cronny James and Wade Van Niekerk, right? Stephen Gardner now and things like that. Um, so I'm curious on if you have thoughts on some of the current athletes who are running in the current state of the 400 over the past kind of decade or so. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I mean, it's, yeah, there's a lot of great talent out there. I mean, a lot of it. I mean, yeah, Gardner's tough, Norman. Yeah. Um, that Neeker, we, you know, he, we will see what happens if he comes back from, mm-hmm. you know, his issues. But, yeah, I mean, you know, you just curly. I mean, you know, he could go from <laughs> one to the four. I mean, I think just the athletes in general are just stronger. I mean, we've evolved, right? I mean, they're just stronger, faster. Um, yeah, it's exciting. I mean, to see what's ahead. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of these athletes now, Corey Wallace. Nice, nice. Absolutely. Nice, nice. Yeah. Um, and so just a, a couple more before we wrap up, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, of course your post-track career, um, well, you've dealt with a lot of injuries, of course, throughout your career, you know, mm-hmm. when you went back to UCLA and then even, you know, I know your career ended pretty short relative to, right. you know, what would you yeah. think of just injuries um, and things like that. Um, but how were you able to overcome those injuries that you had, um, both at UCLA to come back and win, in, uh, win a medal in 1992, and then even in your post-track career, right, overcoming injuries to now being able to do some things that you do now? And of course, like I said, being so healthy, um, how were you able yeah. to overcome those things? You know, it's, it's um, so, yeah, I mean, the hardest part of, for an athlete is you know, pivoting and transitioning from the sport, right? You never really leave your sport on your terms. Most of the time it's either injuries or you get too old or there's a, you know, faster, stronger runner, younger runner in lane two, that's going to take over. Right. So that's, that's, that's challenging for a lot of athletes. Uh, And I'll kind of get to, you know, what I had to do, but, you know, going back to my career, I mean, so 88, I had great success um, and state of UCLA. And in 1990, I came down with this illness or sickness. I was sick for about a year. I mean, I don't know what happened. I was seeing all these specialists. I was weak, but I was still on campus at UCLA. Um, and I was, you know, really a shell of my former self at the time. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. in 88, I was the you know, epitome of athleticism. And then in 90, I came down with this sickness. And so I couldn't train. I couldn't do anything. So I didn't know if I was going to ever get back. Fortunately, um, you know, I just stuck it with it and supported my teammates and my family. I was able to make another team in 92 um, and medal. <laughs> but I mean, to come back after being off for a year of just, you know, being sick uh, was a blessing, you know. But that, again, that was the support of my family and my teammates. 
and cultures, which I think is important um, to have, because otherwise you just, you know, I mean, mentally you have to just be there. You gotta just want it more than anyone else. Um, and then 92, so I had, made, you know, two more medals. And, uh, and then uh, in 94, I was living in the Valley and, and, and um, then there was the Northridge earthquake. <laughs> so, you know, I wake up at four in the morning, the house is shaking and I, I get up and do what you're not supposed to do during an earthquake. I run and down the stairs, I slipped, fell on my tailbone, collapsed my disc, L5S1. And this was 94, like January, uh, I believe. And, and I collapsed a disc, right? And so that basically ended my running career. And I remember at that time, I was training to, to, to race Michael Johnson at an indoor meet in Virginia. And I didn't realize at the time that my disc was collapsed, which, you know, you mess your spine and I'm in the medical device, medical space now. It's it. I mean, you, I mean, your spine, your body, your structure, everything is affected by that. And so, you know, I just wasn't the same after that fall uh, down the stairs with my tailbone and I was training. I would get injured all the time. I remember going to that race and I went out the first lap. Okay. And then that next lap, my body just, I just felt off, you know, chills and shakes. And then, you know, lo and behold, as I was just having so many problems, I go see a um, neurospine doctor, did an MRI, and they saw that the disc L5, L1 was black on the MRI. So let's say it's collapsed. So I ultimately I ended up getting some screws put in me. And that basically, you know, ended my running career, you know, after that fall. And I was still in my prime. I was 25. Uh, so now I had to decide what do I do in life, right? I think uh, I tried to run and it was just hard and I kept getting injured. And I just wasn't the same. Um, you know, after you put screw, you know, your body goes out and you get screws and you, it's just not the same. Not for an individual sport. Team sports, you can get away with it with back problems maybe. But so I had to figure out what am I going to do next? So, um, you know, I, I, I did some, you know, I was like a, a, a athletic director for about a year in Malibu. But then I found, you know, life in medical, in the medical field. So I've been in the medical devices field, uh, you know, working with surgeons for the past you know, two decades. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just take that same energy, that same dedication, commitment from, you know, I learn in, in my sport and apply it to what I'm doing now in life. So that's primarily what I, I do, but I have other little endeavors that I'm involved with in health and wellness and fitness. But yeah, it was just trying to find, um, you know, my why, you know, what, you know, what is it that I want to do? What's important to me? But it all kind of goes back to you know, legacy, you know, what is it that I want to give back? How do I want to help others? Which, you know, you mentioned the military. So, um, you know, I, I'm part of a, a group that, you know, it's called Team One Mile. We, you know, raise awareness for veterans suffering in silence, right? With a lot of a lot of military folks, Navy SEALs, Army folks, professional athletes, business people, we work together. So there's this race across America that I'm a part of where you have these cyclists that race uh, from San Diego to Annapolis, Maryland. Actually, the race is coming up next month and I'm part of the, the crew. So I'm out there giving my time for a week to help these athletes as we race across America. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a week long journey. We travel through 12 states, 3000 miles. And uh, I mean, it's great. And, uh, and I got involved with them because, you know, I have folks in the military and my family that were in the military. My grandfather was in the military. In fact, here's a quick story. So my grandfather, who's you know, since passed away, um, he uh, was in a soldier in the Korean War, a U.S. soldier in the Korean War. And in the Korean War, he actually uh, was shot 
and uh, a shot and a bullet went to his lung, one of his lungs. And so he's out in the battlefield, not able to speak because he couldn't breathe. He thought he was gonna be out there left to die. And he was like, you know, this is it for me. Fortunately, uh, they found him. And then he swore to himself that he would never go to that part of the world again. Fast forward a few years later, or, or a few, uh, well, 20 years later, maybe, his grandson makes the Olympic team for Korea. <laughs> So, you know, here it is back, you know, in the Korean War, he almost died there, but because of me, he went back to see his grandson win gold in, uh, in Korea. And so just in honor of him, I'm like, you know, this is important to me, right? So, you know, this race that we're involved in against, you have, you know, veterans, uh, you know, 20, uh, every day, 22 veterans commit suicide. So we're raising awareness for veterans suffering in silence. And uh, so this is just an important cause for me. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, you know, giving back wherever I can, whatever I can. Um, and, and that's that's just that's just who I am now. Nice. Now, that's that's such a full circle moment, right? Like yeah, yeah, <laughs> your, your grandfather getting injured <laughs> and now it's like a celebration back yeah, where yeah, that happened. Yeah. Nice. Um, but absolutely, I, I love like what you're speaking about. Like, of course, the the work you're doing uh, with veterans and you know what what's coming up. Um, but then also the work you're doing in the in the medical field and thinking of how, like you said, you can give back, thinking of that legacy um, despite the setbacks that you had in the early ending to your career. That's like mm -hmm. super, super important. Um, very, very important there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and out of all that, I mean, so many different things, but if you could <laughs> pick one maybe moment in your life, either on or off the track, and it could be, you know, during the time you were running or even just now, um, that was really impactful, that really meant something to you. What Do you have like a moment that you can look back to? Yeah, it would have to be that victory lap after 88, you know, mm -hmm. coming around uh, and then, you know, my grandfather and my mother was in the stands and just, you know, being on top of the world with all, you know, the world watching, my mother just knowing you know, the struggle she had. And again, knowing my grandfather, uh, his experiences. And so, yeah, that victory lap was, it was not even, I mean, it was a celebration for me on winning in 88, but uh, just, you know, the pleasure and, and, the, and the joy and the excitement that it, it, it provided for them, my mother and my grandfather, just getting to them on that backstretch on that victory lap, you know, the tears in their eyes. I mean, that was, that was for me, that was, that's, that's a highlight. I mean, that's, that's, that's something that sticks with me. Yeah. That's powerful. That's beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful. Um, cool. So I do want to close it. Well, actually, I do want to jump back because I, I know you, um, with what you're doing uh, now, you're pretty active, relatively active on social media in general. You, you yeah, a little bit. I try not to be, but I get compared. <laughs> I mean, I, I think of like compared to a lot of, you know, athletes you competed with, right? Who are, I mean, someone like Kevin Young is pretty active as well, but, you know, a lot of athletes are not as active on social media. Um, I'm, I'm curious why, like you, you choose to be relatively active compared to others. You know, I, well, there's a couple of reasons. Uh, <laughs> most of it is just in fun and just, you know, and just, just enjoying life. But uh, about a two, couple of years, about two years ago, uh, there was an athlete uh, from Texas, uh, Roy Martin. He uh, used to be the, the high school uh, 200 meter record holder. Uh, and uh, he challenged me to a race in the 400 meters for like last year or so he wanted to see he's in his 50s I'm in my 50s and he just you know so it was a lot of back and forth on social media challenging each other and talking mess it was all fun right but you know I was definitely going to race and we were preparing the race but 
you know, because of that, I just started getting, you know, involved with just these little skits and videos that I put out kind of mocking him and giving him a hard time and he would do the same. And, you know, I just had fun with it. I mean, you know, Roy, he called himself Batman and he, he said he was a robot. So I would just kind of joke and put this little Batman outfit on and act like I'm him and do these crazy videos. And I just, you know, every now and then I'll get compelled to just to put some crazy video out, just messing with him. And so that kind of, that's what started. And then, then all these other different, the charities I'm involved with. So I'll post something positive about that. You know, it just depends. I mean, I just, you know, it depends on what mask I put on for the day. Is it just joking with Roy, put a Batman mask or something serious, you know, with the uh, team one mile or, you know, it just depends, right? Or yeah. family or whatever I'm doing, but yeah, I'm, I'm, and then of course I also have a product uh, called the Oof Ball, which is yes. a wellness ball. One of my, my, my piece of equipment that I, I, I sell with my partner and I, so, you know, I'll do videos with that. So I, but I just like to stay healthy and I'll put like fitness videos or moves or something, the move of the day on, and I'll, you know, I have a camera and a tripod, we'll travel. So depending on where I'm at, I might pop it up and do some sort of a crazy exercise move and post it and say, Hey, even in your fifties, you can, you know, stay active. And, and <laughs> so that's what it is. That's the motivation. Just to- there you go. See, all, all this is, is yeah, confirming just, that you're basically like 25 years old. You uh, must be like, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to stay, keep it moving. Yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, so just three last questions and a little bit different. So um, if you had the chance to compete either, you know, upcoming world championships or upcoming Olympics um, and you're in your prime and you're healthy, no injuries, no nothing, but you can't compete in your primary event. So no 400, can't do the 400. Mm. What event would you choose and why? And that could be on the track, on the field. What event would you choose? Uh, the intermediate hurdles. Oh, oh yeah. So my goal back then, I if it wasn't for that fall that I when I went down the stairs, my plan was to uh, run the four hundred hurdles, and uh, that was I wanted to do that at the next Olympics, and uh, but it didn't happen. That was definitely that was it. Wow. <laughs> and of course, I had training. Well, Kevin. At the time, Kevin uh, Young, actually 92 is when he broke the world, but yeah, he was my, 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 one of my training partners. But yeah, intermediate hurdles, that's something that I, I wanted to give a, a jab at, actually. Wow. Did you actually ever run in a 400-meter hurdle race, like at any point in your career? No, 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 but I felt like I could, I could do it. <laughs> that was, that was, Dude, we'll, we'll try it, yeah. Yeah. What do you, what do you think you could have run? Ah, boy, I tell you, you know, that's the, that's the question nowadays, but, you know, can a flat quarter miler run the, because, you know, it, it's, yeah, I, I feel like I could have definitely, um, you know, could have gotten into the 46s, you know, I, I, I don't, I, you know, I, you know, Kevin Young, he'll hate me for this, but yeah, I, you know, I could have run fast. <laughs> I felt like I could have run pretty fast. You never know, because. You never know because there's some some fast like quarter mile like you know one of my favorites is uh you know ride benjamin ride benjamin can run a lot faster than what he, he he's run yeah. i mean he you know you gotta think about his flat speed you know as a quarter mile and he can run fast 200s he will run he will run you know what's the record now 46 no 45 he just ran 46. carson warholm he ran 45 right benjamin ran 46 one or right, and then yeah. Carson Warhol ran forty-five. Okay, yeah. Ryan will be in the forty-five. Yeah, I mean, he. It's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's 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 crazy how 
Rye should, yeah, he'll he'll definitely run a lot faster. Yeah, but yeah, the, the enemy hurdles are definitely something I would have uh, would have run. <laughs> I'll say I I spoke to Mark Everett, uh, eight hundred runner. I oh, spoke okay. to him, and he said he would have run the he would have wanted to run the four hundred meter hurdles, and he claims that he, in the nineties he could have run forty five. So it could have been you two <laughs> going back and forth with it with Kevin Young. Mark's tough. Yeah, I mean it, it's. I mean, that 400, 800, because so Mark was a legit quarter miler, right? I yeah. mean, it's really, I mean, I don't want to take anything away from, from, from Kevin because, I mean, it's all technical, technique. Yeah. I mean, you think about the steps in between his legs. And, I mean, I train, you know, with Kevin. So it, it, it's, you just putting the race together. I mean, really. Um, yeah, Mark Evan and the enemy hurdle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I would have run an 800 as well, but I, I that's tough. <laughs> both, both, both <laughs> events. those are crazy events um and then just last two um if you had a cheat food that you can indulge in maybe you know on your time you know during the olympics or on the circuit what was like a cheat food that you would just like sneak sneak away and go and get you know it's i mean everything i mean we you know i mean if i knew then what i know now i probably would have i would have eaten a lot better but you know, I mean, I mean, I would love cookies. I was an Oreo cookie guy, right? I mean, I definitely, but we ate whatever then, man. I, you know, we go to Europe, we couldn't wait to find a McDonald's somewhere. So we didn't, I mean, back then we ate kind of whatever we wanted. Obviously, you know, at the Olympics and all that, we were trying to be pretty healthy, but yeah, I was cheating then. I mean, <laughs> anyway, right? I mean, I, like I said, it was, it was, I wouldn't get carried away, but yeah, I mean, I was, you know, I had a sweet tooth. Um, actually more of a sweet tooth now but yeah i would eat, i would just kind of eat you know whatever we love fat burgers back then and we right <laughs> one right in westwood and ucla and yeah yeah we, we right. did it then we cheated there it didn't matter we <laughs> didn't matter yeah yeah oh man Absolutely. Absolutely. okay and then last question um if you have a favorite genre of music or a favorite artist that you just love to listen to you know i'm an old school cat i'm in 90s i mean i remember uh, my playlist at the 88 Olympics, you know, every night before my race, I mean, I stayed in the Olympic village. So I would put my headphones phones on before the race and take a walk through the Olympic village. And, you know, as I walked through every, uh, living, um, um, apartment, right. It was like walking around the world in one night because you had all these different languages that you would hear. Right. But, you know, I put my headsets on and I mean, I'd listen to some loose ends, um, Man, that was that was my go-to, you know, just some some smooth, you know. I mean, I was a Bobby Brown fan back, still am. Uh, the '90s music, I'm kind of a yeah, anything from the '90s. I'm just smooth R&B. I'm yeah, yeah. And I like some of the hip hop now. You know, some of my favorite rap artists still old school though. I mean, Rakim, I'm a Nas guy, Tupac. Yeah, I'm old school. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. Not Nas is my all-time yeah, greatest yeah, ever. Yeah, so. he's, he's in my top five for sure. There you go, there you go. What Can I ask, what would be, what was your t what's your top five if you could throw one out there? Ooh. Of rappers. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I'm a West Coast, right? Uh, you know, people might be surprised. So I'm a big Ice Cube, you know, and Tupac has been East and West, but, I, you know, Tupac, obviously, uh, Nas, Rakim, um, I have a fifth one. Uh, let me see if I pick a different area. 
Yeah, it's it's, it's the five is interchangeable. It's just you know, just throw a fifth one. I put Lauren in Hill in there. Okay. You know, I'll put a female. She's she's boxing. Nice, nice. Okay, despite being West Coast, that's that's yeah, yeah, variety yeah. there. Yeah, I'm, I'm all over. Yeah. Nice, nice. Okay, well, Steve Lewis, I really appreciate you joining today. It was a pleasure Absolutely. to speak with you. You dropped so many gems, so many um, <laughs> different pieces of knowledge for people as they navigate through their careers and some great things that you're doing now, which I love, love to hear. So I really do appreciate talking with you today. No, man, great. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you.